Thanks for listening to The Vine's podcast. The Vine is a church in Austin, Texas, with the simple goal of following Jesus together. And we hope this message helps you in doing just that. We all love a good story, right? I mean, it's what drives us to stay up later at night, whether you're binge-watching, you know, your favorite series on Netflix or going through movies and seeing all the different sequels or even binge-reading, um, we just love that. There's something that attracts us to that. Uh, and the truth is, too, though, not only do we love stories, but each one of us is living a story right now. And maybe your story has you at, now in a time of place it's of a drama. There's just drama going on in your story. Or maybe if I asked you about your story, you'd say, well, no, Ted, it's more like a romantic comedy right now. And that could be good, too. Um, but for whatever it might be, regardless... Each one of us is in the middle of our own adventure. And this last few weeks and through this series, we have been looking at this idea about how to live a better story. That this sermon series to think about how our lives intersect with God's bigger story. And to help us do that, we've been looking at the different pieces of a story to help us guide our own stories in reflecting on them. And a story, as you know, it begins with the exposition. It begins with the setting that gives you that necessary background to get into the story. Maybe, for instance, it's four boys, and they're up in a treehouse, and and they're planning their next adventure, and it just draws you in. Or maybe it's just a shot, and zooming in, it's a a beautiful shot of a, a cabin on a lake in the mountains, and you're pulled into the setting. In the series, we've been introduced, maybe you're familiar with them, or maybe you've been introduced to some new words like stasis. And stasis is that norm. Um, And that norm may be good or bad, but just the way things are in your story. Maybe from setting the story of mine, I might say, I grew up in Colorado, kind of giving you the stasis, and then I might go along and share more of my story. But in every compelling story, there are different events that happen, and we refer to those as triggers. Uh, a trigger is something that's, that you have your stasis, and it kind of takes you off that norm and sends you in a different direction. And those can be positive, and those can be negative. Also, in a, in a story, you have the protagonist. And so for us, we're each our own, right? We're the main characters in our story. And if we had time, it'd be fun to hear everybody's story, right? Each unique story um, that we all have. And to to see what are those different triggers that send us in different directions throughout our lives. In our Vine groups, which are our small groups, um, we've been mapping out our stories. And we've been kind of using this graph right here. And so those positive ones above the line um, are those triggers that were positive. And below the ones were the ones that were negative. And so for an example, in in my life, after graduating from the University of Kansas, um, and I say that, now my Jayhawks are a little bit trouble. So if you've been following sports, we're doing things that we shouldn't be doing. But anyway, graduated from the University of Kansas and uh, went out to Chicago to do Young Life. And so I was doing the Young Life uh, youth ministry thing. I was coaching football. And then all of a sudden, I met Tara Miller. Wow, did my life take a change in a different direction. And for the better, of course, definitely. And it's just fun to think back of that. We, we started as friends, and then we moved into a stage that we labeled kissing friends. 
because we weren't sure what else to call it, but we were kissing. And then, and then it happened really quick. We met each other's family one time, and then three months later, we were engaged. So, and now we have been married uh, for uh, 26, or 23, Woo. <laughs> 26 sounds pretty good, doesn't it, honey? Um, 23 years, and I can't imagine a trigger going any better. So, honey, you're above the line, <laughs> way above. You pulled me above the line. That's what you've done. Another trigger for us is, is when we had kids. So I remember having Kyle, your first child. That, that sends your life in a different course, right? And then we had Peyton and Holly. And so if I'm looking at that line, I'm like, we're going all over the place now, up and down. Some of the good triggers. But there are also triggers that, that aren't good. And, and I can remember when I was in my 20s um, having gut pains and not knowing what was going on. And any of you have had to suffer with your gut. It's just, it's no fun. And finally, it was diagnosed that I had Crohn's disease. And it's, Crohn's disease is normally not a life-threatening disease, but it, it is a life-altering disease. Um, and, and so dealing with that. And then most recently for me, um, a negative trigger would have been this past spring uh, when my dad died. So those are triggers that send our lives into a different course. And then if we think again that we're the main character, we're the protagonist in our story, not only do we have triggers, but we're going to have conflict and crisis also. We're going to have those times where we're just kind of white-knuckling it, like, am I going to make it? Am I going to make it through? And then if you think about some of the movies or something about like Harry Potter, um, as he's going through that first one and kind of white-knuckling in some of those battles and stuff that's going on in that movie, and what if he didn't make it? He just died in that first one. They would have not made nearly as much money, and it wouldn't have been a good story. Or what about Cinderella? We think about that, and, and what if she just stayed up in the room and never tried to come down? And say, yeah, uh, that's my shoe. Um, to down there. It would be different. It wouldn't be much of a story. Ellie Weasel once said, and we've shared this before, but God made man because he loves stories. And we believe that God has written stories in our hearts, again, to be part of a bigger story. And if we're honest, we all want our stories to be a good one, right? We want to be on that road to, to live in a better life story, but it's not easy. There's going to be setbacks. There, there's going to be failures. Um, and maybe our life story won't be as good as the, what we were hoping it to be. And oftentimes, if you're like me, we might feel like we're the only people that are struggling in our own life stories. I must be the only one who can't seem to get it right. But, but the truth is, you're not alone. Everyone who is trying to live a better story has fallen short sometimes. And even the times we try to do the right thing, there's going to be times where we'll do the wrong thing. We're just, we're just imperfect people. Um, but the good news is that God knows that and that he loves us, um, even in spite of that. And then we're talking about in, in stories, so we have triggers, but then also when that hero comes along, like you're, you're looking at a story, and you're like, how are they ever going to get out of this? What are they going to do? Something has to happen. And then that hero comes in. 
And last Sunday was talking about Jesus being that hero and Jesus coming into Jerusalem. Um, But he came in, didn't he, in an unassuming way. He rode into Jerusalem on a donkey. And they're all thinking, wait, you're going to be crowned king on this earth and you're going to overturn the Romans and and things are going to be better. But Jesus, their hero, came to die on the cross to die for our sins so that we could be made whole. However, if we just would leave it at there, in a sense, if we would have just left it at Good Friday, thinking about those disciples that after he was crucified and he was buried, and what if the story just ended there? There would be no resolution. But today... I want us to focus on and sharing the good news, and that is the resolution. That's what we're going to focus on. Because again, every good story has some resolution as part of it. It's that time where it sets the main character back on track, or it puts you uh, in line for a, a new adventure. And that resolution just becomes essential, doesn't it? Because could you imagine stories without a resolution? And we think back with Greece, Danny Zuko and Sandy. What if they never got back together? We don't got that great last song. And I'm not going to sing it for you. But you know what I'm talking about. What about Rocky Balboa? What if he didn't beat Apollo? We would not have had six more Rockies <laughs> to watch after that. A movie or, or a book, again, without a resolution just wouldn't and doesn't feel right. But today, again, we're going to focus on the good news of the resolution after Jesus was crucified and buried. In Scripture, we read that on that third day, on that first Easter morning, that the women walked to the tomb, and to their surprise, the stone had been rolled away. And when they went inside, all they found are the the grave clothes lying there. And they they met an angel, and they asked, we do not know where they have taken him. And the angel replied, he is not here. He is what? Risen. He is risen. And you see, that changes everything. If you have your Bibles with you, or sometimes you might follow along on your phone, we're going to be in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Um, It's also going to be on the screen too, so don't worry about that. We'll have it up there but to chance to go to that. Before we jump into that, our, to our scripture today, does anybody remember that movie, Dead Poet Society? Great movie. Uh, if you haven't seen it, I encourage you to watch it. One with Robin Williams was in it, and he's a teacher at a, a boys' boarding school, um, and he's inspiring his students to specifically look at poetry kind of from a different perspective. And one of the most memorable scenes is when he is there in the high school with these students, and he's telling them they have a limited time on earth to make the most of it. He says, carpe diem, seize the day, make your life count, make your life extraordinary. And I think that question confronts us. You know, as believers, what does that really mean? What does it mean as a follower of Christ to seize the day? What does it mean to live a better story, to live an extraordinary story? I love how Paul in the book of Corinthians 
um, confronts this and shows us the beauty of what seizing the day is all about. The book of Corinthians is a letter from the Apostle Paul who planted the church. And he planted it in this town called Corinth. And Corinth was a, a unique city in a sense. It's, it'd be kind of like a modern day Las Vegas, a place where you come and you can make money, you can make a name for yourself, a place where people were seeking pleasure, worshiping a lot of different idols and gods. And that's where Paul chooses to plant this church. And we, we learned that for about a year and a half, he's, he stays with the church. And he's helping them to learn what it means to, to be a follower of Christ. And, and he's building up leaders, elders, and deacons with the church so when he leaves, that they would be able to continue on the right road. But then about a year and a half later, he finds out that the folks there in Corinth aren't representing Christ well. And there are a ton of divisions that are going on. So if you read... If you were to read the beginning of 1 Corinthians, this letter to the church of Corinth, Paul would say, very simply, and it's so powerful, he says, I, Paul, have decided to know nothing among you except Christ and Christ crucified. Know nothing. Paul, one of the greatest theologians ever, said, that's all I want to know. Why? Because it's of the most importance. And then we're going to pick up at the end of his letter in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. And we're going to start in verse 12. But if it is Christ is preached that Christ has been raised from the dead. And since Paul's saying, I've seen him. 500 other people have seen him. He is alive. I want to remind you of that. But then he goes on to ask them, if Christ has been raised... How can some of you say that there is no resurrection from the dead? You see, this church in Corinth, um, the, the, the Jewish folks inside them, and probably some others, were heavily influenced by the Sadducees, who were religious leaders. And the Sadducees did not believe in resurrection, the people raised from the dead. And so what their belief was that no matter how long you lived, 10, 20, 30, 60, 100 years, that when you died, that was it. And so this belief was in this new church. And Paul says, wait a second. There's a problem here if you believe that because that's not coherent with Jesus and his resurrection. Because if there's no resurrection across the board, then Jesus wasn't raised. And he's going to continue to kind of work out and flesh out this problem. <clears throat> says, if there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, our preaching is useless. And There's a pick-me-up from Paul. More than that... We are found then to be false witnesses about God. For what we have testified about God, that he raised Christ from the dead. But he did not rise, raise him, in fact, if the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, then Christ has not been raised either. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you're still in your sins. Wow. 
Paul is saying that if Christ has not been raised, there's this whole set of implications that flow out from that. And those include the, the past and the present and our future hopes in, in Christianity. That would mean that if he hadn't been raised, that all the plans of God, all of his teachings, um, everything, it all balances on the point of the bodily resurrection of Jesus Christ. And if he, Christ is not raised, if that actual historical event did not happen, then it means everything comes crashing down like a, a house of cards. Because if Christ isn't raised, then we have a, a, an empty message. There's no defeat of sin. There's no victory over death. There's no hope for, for the evil that we face, for the struggles that we face, for the difficulty, for the pain and the suffering that it will ultimately end one day. If Christ was right, not raised, there is no hope. Paul might have said it like this. It's over. It's done. The conflict and the crisis are the winners. If Christ was not raised, then all you get is a series of brokenness in your life over and over again and again. There is no resolution. He continues in, in verse 19. He says, If only for this life we have hope in Christ, we of all people are most pitied. Paul is again saying, if, if Christ has not been raised, he's probably thinking, why am I suffering now so much for the gospel? What's the point? If Christ has not been raised, what's the point as Christians in denying ourselves from the fleeting pleasures of the world? Why don't we just eat and play and just be happy? Whatever feels good. Do you see the case that he's making against? In a sense, he said, if Christ has not been raised... I could ask you this, since what are you doing here this morning? You might be asking yourself that same question right now. Why am I here? Um, why did you wake up? I mean, why didn't you just sleep in? Sunday, it's your day. The songs we're singing about, kind of weird. Jesus didn't raise, wasn't resurrected. If Christ has not been raised, then it's, it's all meaningless. But I love verse 20, where Paul says, but Christ has indeed been raised from the dead. Not only was it prophesied, but again, Paul says, I was there. I witnessed him. I witnessed the risen Christ. And there are so many others that did as well. And not only do we witness them, look at our lives now. They're completely transformed. Everything has changed. And again, think about Paul. Paul was the one who was persecuting the church. Paul was the one who was chasing Christians, trying to throw them in jail, trying to have them killed. That same Paul is now being beaten and tortured and, and whipped for the, case, the cause of Christ. It radically changes everything. And then he, Paul continues in verses 20 through 22. He says, The first fruits of those who have fallen asleep, for since death came through a man, the resurrection of the dead comes also through a man. 
For as in Adam all die, so in Christ all will be made alive. I love that imagery of first fruits. You can imagine just a garden and you're planting something. And maybe if you have kids or grandkids and you go out there and you put the seeds in and the next day they want to go out and see, like, is anything there? And it's not yet. But if you keep going, maybe 30, 40 days down the road, maybe that first little bean sprout starts to come up. It's the first fruit, right? You see it coming through. And you know what else is to come. Christ is the first fruit in our lives. And and not only as we live here now, but he is the first fruit of what is to come. As Jim said that too, of one of the reasons we give, we know that we have an eternity and that we get to live with God for that. He's talking about that. And if some of this, you're like, okay, he wasn't raised, he was raised, all that seems confusing. I love this quote by Tim Keller. It says this, if Jesus rose from the dead, then you have to accept all that he said. If he didn't rise from the dead, then why worry about anything that he said? If in fact this is the case, if there is a resurrection from the dead, and as Paul claims, it's as glorious as he says it is, then I believe there is one way for us to live on this earth. And Paul wraps up his letter with this in in verse 58, telling us how we can live a life that seizes the day. Therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourselves fully because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. Friends, we get to do Jesus' work here on earth. We get to make his name known. We get to invite people in to his family. We get to build up the church to make his, his bride beautiful. And all of the work that we do lasts for eternity. It's not done in vain. It's not a waste of time. If you forego something on your bucket list to tell someone about Jesus, to help someone, to help the poor, to help the widow, to reach out to someone who's on the outside, someone who's been rejected, it's so worth it. And if it costs you money, it's worth it. If it costs you time, it's worth it. Because money and time, they won't last. But the things that we do for Jesus Christ, the things that you do to build up his church, the way that so many of you are are serving so faithfully here at the vine, those things will last for eternity. This is what we get to do because we are in Christ. Friends, this is the resolution. And through the power of the resurrection, God has invited us to change the trajectory of our lives. Because y'all see, it all hinges on the resurrection of Jesus Christ. That is the trigger that sends our story intersecting with God's story. So what do we do with this? What does it look like to respond 
to Christ in this way and to live a better story. Well, just this week, I received an email from a, a fraternity brother of mine from the DU house um, who made a decision in college. And before I share with you this, this, this email that he shared um, or that he wrote me, things that we do for Christ are not done in vain. Is there any of you, though, that as you're serving, as you're living for Christ, you're trying to live a better life, you're trying to, to uh, have a relationship that honors God, a family that does, and, and, and you look at it and you think some of the things you say or do kind of, maybe are they in vain? You kind of, you don't see like, did that really make a difference? Did it, did it matter? Because I could tell you that when I was doing that fraternity at Kansas, I thought that a lot of times. Does it matter? Remember when I, asked, when I was a freshman, I stood up, I said, I'd like to start a a Bible study, I had some seniors pull me aside afterwards and they said, if you do, we're going to kick you out. So that's why we met in this little room upstairs. Two of us, one of the guys was Chris. And let me read you what Chris wrote to me this week. Ted, I know this email is out of the blue, but I just wanted to send a note of thanks. I don't know if you remember, but I still smile sharing the story of accepting Christ with you in our room at the DU house. You helped lead me to Christ, and I can't imagine my life without him in it. Lynn Shanahan, who he was dating when he was at school there, he goes, Lynn and I got married not long after college, and we've been happily married for 26 years. I retired from the Marine Corps three years ago, and we now live in California. And then I love this, because you can hear Paul speaking in almost a sense where he says this, more than anything, I am most thankful from our relationship with Jesus Christ. My hope for you, for all of us, is that this week we make room for the resurrection power in, in our lives, in our stories, because the resolution has been laid out. He is risen. He's risen indeed. And friends, that makes all the difference.